right, riddle me this, Kev. What's one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle? What is it? What do you go for? Well, you might think power, but ultimately, from a smart and safe perspective, definitely the brakes. Yeah, no doubt. Upgraded braking systems can really transform a vehicle's performance and honestly give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. You know, from the track to off-road trails, even the morning commute, every single vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. And no matter what your vehicle or driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. So head to PowerStop.com, fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder to be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. That's right. You could join the thousands of other drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today with PowerStop. PowerStop.com, brake upgrades made easy. Welcome to Two Guys Garage Podcast, a production of iHeartRadio and Britain Productions. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. Fired up for today because everybody, and I mean everybody in car world, automotive industry, everybody loves to find the gold mine of powertrains, you know? Everybody loves to stumble upon the resource that a lot of people may not know about and Bird, this was your idea. What are we doing letting the masses know about your secret stash place, bro? Like, you didn't even let me know about this joint until just like today. And I'm like, what do you mean you know a place that has coyote and uh, Hellcat power plants? Man, come on. Why are you holding back, cuz? Oh, man. <laughs> well, you know, it's not really the, the greatest secret because, uh, you know, let's say you're going to do some kind of LS swap, coyote swap, hemi swap. Right, you uh -huh. get on eBay, you start looking around. Who do you find? Now it used to be Cleveland Pick Apart. I mean, these guys, right? It's a salvage yard. It's the treasure trove. It's where you go to find that golden nugget, like you said. Uh, but they have kind of really focused on finding these badass rides, these badass powertrains, knowing what to all include and pull together, stick them on a pallet so that you've got everything you need, you know, front to back on a drive line. You know, with transmissions, harnesses, everything to make them work. Uh, they've got so many tips and tricks to go along with it uh, that we're going to dive into. Uh, and they've just kind of grown this business. So it used to be Cleveland Pick Apart, but now it's Cleveland Power and Performance because they've really kind of taken it to the next level, right? If you think about the resources they got from, you know, a salvage yard and how many awesome findings you're going to have out there. And they've kind of turned it into uh, really Awesome custom builds, you know, SEMA level, all modern powertrains, uh, super cool. So I'm fired up because I love junkyards and yeah, I man. love badass powertrains. So today is a double whammy for me, man. I got a funny story about junkyards. So my papa had that, had this country store, right? And in the summers, my parents, we always thought it was really cool, but now that I'm older, I know what my mom and my stepdad were doing. They were just, trashing us off to the grandparents so they could live kid free for a couple months and me and my brother would come off the farm and we'd work my papa's little grocery store so in this grocery store we were responsible for shagging groceries and my papa delivered a bunch of groceries to people that were a little less fortunate couldn't afford it um but i'm telling you man it was always really cool because we'd get a little break from the action across the street was a junkyard so me and my brother oh. 
would go we'd go rummage around the junkyard and this is when we were like you know 12 13 14 up until we were like 16 17 so by that time i had a 71 dodge charger and by that time i knew the difference between a small block and a big block you know you pop the hood on a mopar if that distributor's in the front you got yourself a big block if it's in the back you have yourself a small block easy to tell you know you know it was a great resource to find parts but just memories man just all the things you know all the crazy cars and you know not to mention all the times i've gone picking and been able to you know resource and harvest parts from gold mines out there and here is here's a place uh with your boy here that really is a gold mine for everything we're looking for nowadays oh amen and you know for me you know my first car was the same thing it was every salvage yard across florida to go find every part and piece and if you've never been to a salvage yard uh, you just got to go. You know, if you have no reason, just go there and find a a wiper blade arm or something silly, you know. But it is so awesome, at least for a car guy from a treasure hunter, because you never know what you're going to find, right? It's, it's, it's the same probably juice, the same high that, you know, that guy with the little uh, magnet detector, you know, going up and down oh, the yeah, beach, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah. going to find a quarter <laughs> right. or maybe he's going to find Rolex. that gold ring. <laughs> yeah, that Rolex. You know, you're just kind of yeah, pumped man. up like, ooh, what's around the corner, man? Is that got a Hemi in it? Yeah. You know? Oh, it's a V6. Oh, dang. All right, what's under that one? You know? What's the best thing you've ever found in a in a junkyard? The best thing I ever found was exactly what I was looking for. That's a good day at a junkyard, man. <laughs> uh, and then sometimes you find something else. You had any surprises? Ooh. Yeah, because I've gone, I've gone hunting for A, but I found B, C, and D before that worked out fantastic. Yeah, I found a few Bs and Ds. Uh, maybe a C in there somewhere, but nothing. I think I had like a big wad of cash in my pocket, ready to go. Kabam! I'll take that too, sir. You know. What, what about you? What, what's your big find? Okay, I got a couple. I found a '66 Dodge Charger parts yeah. car. Yeah. Um, that didn't have the front doghouse on it, but I needed rear quarters and needed a roof, a few other things. So I found that most recently. Um, when I was a kid, we found a hundred bucks in an old lady's purse in the trunk of her car at that junkyard uh, across from my papa's. No way. That's gold. That is total gold. And in the mid-90s, I was working with a guy at a pool yard here in Denver, and we found a brick of cocaine, and they set up a sting operation, right, and waited for the guy to come in to get the brick of cocaine out of the pool yard car, and they busted him, and I was the guy that found it. <laughs> so, no kidding. Yeah, so, wow. So it was, uh, it, you know, I got a couple good stories. <laughs> so this is a this is kids stories, right? I mean that's that's pretty stellar. That's gold. That's like crooks, cops and robbers, law and order. Uh man, we're gonna talk to Rick Fragnoli here, and this is gonna be awesome because he's gonna have he's gotta have the best stories ever, right? When you when you live and breathe it, when it's your family business for so many years, the amount of things that you've gotta find, you know, in some of these vehicles. Uh and we're not talking about just these awesome powertrains, but uh, let's let's take a quick break, man. We'll catch yeah. Rick Fragnoli with uh, Cleveland Power and Performance, man. I am so stoked up because it's everything that uh, gets me fired up on a you know an early morning like today. So well, you said two magic words in the same damn sentence: power and performance. That's what we're talking about. We'll be back with Rick in just a minute on the Two Guys Garage Podcast. 
It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we have Rick Fragnoli from Cleveland. Power and performance on the podcast. And I bet you're thinking to yourself, now why on earth we got somebody from Cleveland Power and Performance on the damn podcast? Because we want to get a lot of peas in one sentence. Um, no, simple. Because this is where you go to harvest coyotes, LSs. Uh, whether it's supercharged LSs, Cadillac LSAs, you want a Hellcat? This is a spot to go find it, and not just a Hellcat, but all the um, all the support, the the you know the transmission, the gauges, the ECMs, all the goods to get your whatever project off you know off and running. Think about having all that ability to resource all of that in one spot. That's big, man. So, Rick, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely honored to be on here. Pumped. So, tell me a little bit of how you guys morph from a from a you know a junkyard basically to a place where people know to call you guys when they want to upgrade. You know, let's be honest, muscle cars, they're cool. There's nothing like the lines, the styling. They make a statement. But man, those old drivetrains suck. Three-speed transmissions suck. They're garbage. Anybody poking around on a three-speed, yeah, I feel bad for you on a, on a cruise, man, with you and your buds, because you get rolled by a Hyundai. Um, whereas you, you have the resource to upgrade all the all the you know A, Bs, and Cs, the Ford, Chevys, and Mopars with great new power plants, and that is a that's a game changer. They have the resources to make dreams happen. <laughs> so yeah, tell man. us, tell us evolution because you know I found you guys I don't know maybe 10, 12 years ago, uh, you know looking for LS motors for my swap and whatnot and um, you know every time I get on eBay it seems like there you pop up. Uh, so you've been on my radar, but it was Cleveland Pick Apart. Yep. Uh, but you had already started formulating, right? It looks like this awesome plan on giving guys like us exactly what we want. And now it just seems like you've taken that to a whole nother level. So. Yeah, you want a powertrain? Great. Well, we can wrap around a badass custom, modified, whatever kind of vehicle you want with that awesome powertrain. You guys have really grown by leaps and bounds, man. So who was the vision for that? How did it get started? And Yeah, thank you, man. It's very cool to hear that, especially, you know, coming from you guys. That's uh, very cool to hear. So thank you. Uh, my parents, my dad bought in the 80s. So my dad was an electrician. He knew nothing about cars. He ran for union president. I was only five at the time of the story, but... uh lost union election in a rigged election who knows how rigged it was quit his job that day went and bought a junkyard came home with my mom you know i was the youngest of five brothers and sisters she thought he was going to be union president came home she's like you know hey hon how'd it go i don't remember the whole story but i remember like the phone book ripping off the wall and like throwing across the old kitchen <laughs> my dad was like yeah you know um didn't win the election but we bought a junkyard and she was basically like beep 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 <laughs> and I'll never forget the phone book like forever he's just this big old phone book just chucking through the kitchen so yeah she was pumped she was really happy to own a junkyard so, uh, <laughs> um, so the junkyard he bought was a complete dump the city of Cleveland we're about 20 minutes outside of Cleveland they use it as literally a dump in the 50s 60s they just dump stuff here on the land so um, no running water no plumbing no anything and quickly my favorite junkyard story growing up so like I was probably my you know it's probably 12 13 years old I always worked here we used to play like the blindfold driving game so like you'd have an old Chevette or something so you would blindfold the driver and only the navigator could tell him left right fast or slow down oh that's awesome yeah if you were you know basically you know if you want to be a girly man you took your blindfold off you lost the race you usually have two cars but your navigator, you had to somewhat trust, but also knowing damn well, oops, sorry, also knowing that uh, 
he was going to drive you in another car or a wall. You just didn't know which point it was coming. So we had to eventually stop that because we were getting rid of the old trailers as we started to put up buildings. And we had one of the guys drive through the trailer, but he had a telephone pole. That's awesome. <laughs> that is exactly the kind of stuff that I would be doing in a salvage yard, man. Oh. They were old Chevettes at the time, Citations. They were these throwaway cars, and they were just waiting to get scrapped. So you'd throw a battery box, and you'd start up. We'd have our own demo derbies all the time. Oh, yeah, man. I've had plenty of junkyard demo derbies, man. It's fantastic. I do I do a program called Cars to Christmas. I give away cars to, to needy families, and there's always a few cars that are too far gone, beyond repair, and we save those for the end-of-the-season demolition derby. Oh, yeah. We love it. We used to do derbies back in the day all the time. Man, the life this guy must have had growing up, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the things that you can do in a junkyard. All right, you got another good story, a good find, yeah. like what you found in a car. What we found in a car, I mean, the, the brick of cocaine's always good, the cash. Um, we found one car just had, I mean, the most amount of sex toys you could ever possibly have in a car. Chains, whips, you know, you name it. And some of them were basically, like, positioned in the seat for, I guess, while you're driving. That's where you uh, <laughs> where you put some of them. So, uh Maybe that's why he wrecked. The fabrication <laughs> of the American man is incredible on where they will put a sex toy. So I was impressed to see what I welded to a seat frame. Of. It was actually a Dodge Viper, too. Oh, no kidding. Of course it was. So I guess if you're going to be rocking five, 600 horsepower, you got to have a little toy in there. So <laughs> That is a big toy surrounded by little toys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Um, when you started, you know, started merging into more of the performance, you know, applications of cars, how did that transition sort of take place? Because most people make their money in that field, in that industry, on insurance jobs and, mm -hmm. you know, so forth, you know, to, to sort of branch out into performance-based stuff. That's, that's a little bit of a gamble, a little bit of throw of the dice. Yeah. How did you um, start to lean in that direction? Yep. So I always had a bad taste with the insurance jobs. You were always just fighting against. There's so much competition. You never got paid. You'd go take a door, whatever, 45 minutes away, and there'd always be some BS. There's a door, ding, I need money back here. These insurance companies never pay you. So it was always just a losing battle to me. So I was like, well, I keep fighting this. So I was probably 19 at the time, probably, you know, roughly around the year 2000, and Ram Air Convertible, so Pontiac Trans Am, a really big deal. LSs were hot. Yeah, yeah. So I put together one of my first rebuilt salvage cars, one of the first cars I built. At the time in Ohio, when you had rebuilt salvage, you couldn't inspect the car. Until the car was inspected, you couldn't drive the car. So my parents went to the Bahamas on, like, whatever, a cruise or something. They were gone seven days. I was in college at the time at uh, Kent State in Ohio. And uh, so my parents laughed. My dad's like, hey, no matter what, do not take that car. You know it's not inspected. Like, you know, don't screw around. I was like, yeah, dude, of course. So my dad left. I'm whatever, 19 in college. I was probably like a sophomore in college. The second my parents got on the flight, I immediately came back, had the shop keys. And I was like, all right, you know, cool. Nothing happened. I'm going to recruit some chicks. Well, then whatever. I decided to come back to, you know, the shop. Who knows? Get the brick cocaine on the trunk or whatever. Just kidding. <laughs> Drove back to the shop and uh, some dude sideswiped the car. I mean, like five minutes from the shop and just told the car. So I was completely screwed. I was in oh. big trouble. And I had probably about five days. So my parents came back. So now I owe my dad a couple grand in the car. And I had this car that at this point is basically stuck in insurance limbo. It wasn't fully insured because it wasn't inspected. It was a 2000, there was a 1999 Trans Am in 2000. I mean, it was a pretty expensive car at the time. It's a 19 year old kid. It was really expensive. So I was like, man, I'm in trouble. So uh, <laughs> the guys at work helped me. Well, this was like pre cell phone cameras, pre that stuff. So luckily, pre cell phones, my parents didn't know. So we were taking those old cameras you'd get at Walmart, like those wind-up cameras when you take the pictures. We were running to Walmart, developing the film, and then going into the computer lab at Kent State. And, like, we were basically – that's how eBay started. 
we basically parted at Trans Am when really no one was parting these things at. So I had, like everyone's like, these things were brand new, and I had to drive on it, all these parts. And we were going to Greyhound, so I had no idea how to ship. So I'm like shipping seats, doors, taillights on Greyhound. And for the most part, the stuff may have to give some people their money back, live and learn. But my dad came back, whatever, five days later, and the shell of this car was sitting right when he pulled in the junkyard. And I had an inspection with the state like four days later. And I was like, like I wrote a note like, I owe you, dad, one canceled inspection. You know, hugs and kisses your son. Don't call me. I know you're going to be mad. And he was like, my dad's an Italian dude. So my dad, like everywhere I was, my was like, beep, 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 beep. So, you know, he calls the old landline in Kent. So now I'm like, obviously, no, this call's coming. I'm like, no one pick it up. So finally, I had to answer the call and deal with it. But because I parted the car out, sold so much stuff, I paid my dad the money back that I owed him, paid him back some more. And he was like, yeah, this works. So indirectly, that's how we entered the, I guess, wrecked car salvage market was me screwing around and wrecking my own car. <laughs> that's awesome. That's one way to get into it, falling into yeah, a hole, so- right? All into a hole, but I knew there was a market there. I always wanted to go to. I really wanted out of the insurance market, but I guess for lack of better words, that was the uh, the hand of the car gods kicking me in the direction to do it. So forced me in earlier, and we. I mean, it was crazy at the time we parted this car out. Like parted it, shipped, paid for, it, and it was like done, paid, shipped, and Greyhound. It was like five days. It was crazy how fast a car came apart. At the time, you know, the internet was really just taking off. LSs were so not like common. Like today's modern insurance auction. It didn't exist. So, like, by word of mouth, there was like, hey, these guys are parting cars. You started getting people off the street emailing you. Random insurance adjusters from out of state would call you. Like, the internet was nowhere near what it was today. So, we started just buying Trans Ams and Camaros. I mean, by the <laughs> – like, it was incredible how many we had in here. Wow, what a cool story. What a what a cool way to find your your next sort of path. And that obviously opened doors for you guys to, to start doing not just LS-based stuff and branch out coyotes, Hellcats. I bet you're – Probably the resource to find Hellcat drivetrains. That's a that is a nasty drivetrain with so much more potential than what what comes in those cars from the factory. Um, when those came, I think what 2007 or something, somewhere around there. Some I think they arrived. Um, maybe actually the Challenger was 2007 or eight, yeah. um, and then the Hellcat maybe 14 or yeah. few years after that. Um, when did you guys? sort of see the shift in those and coyotes and other performance-based hot rods for sure so obviously the ls had the market corner it was basically ls yeah you had a sprinkle of an older you know impale ss lt1 like a 9095 zr1 maybe you had that 9202 viper but there was really nothing ford performance based and mopar minus the viper mopar had nothing so in the end of 2005 2006 the srt version came out the 6.1 chrysler 300 dodge magnum dodge charger at that point, the Mustangs were still a little behind. The Shelbys came out in 07, but we basically just kind of rolled that LS stuff right into the Hemi market, the uh, Shelby world. And then as the Coyotes came out in 11, we rolled into there. And then the Hellcats, I think, were they came out in 15. So we started rolling there. But as each new platform came out, we kind of basically figured out how to – the LSs, as we all know, you know, the junkyard store, all that stuff, they're so easy to get running. Well, the Hemis, when they came out in 2005, 2006 – they're a little more complicated. So we were the first company to, I guess, offer at the time. It was a non, it was a turnkey component pal. We basically took everything from the car and shipped it. So you had every part for a guy in his garage to set up and run it. But then as everything else, I always fall into stories. So when the 6.1s were really coming out, computer programming was like, at the time, it was basically the dealership saw you couldn't rewrite programs and those computers, you couldn't do anything. But we started taking apart all these modules and messing with them. So it was probably about 2007, 2008, 
we were thinking, well, hey, these Hemi pallets, everyone's having such a hard time getting running. All these guys are calling back for tech support. The LS stuff, for lack of better words, do a pan flip, do some motor mount conversions, but the LS runs in anything. These guys are having so much problem getting these Hemis run. Let's figure out how to make these Hemis simpler for them to run. So we were going back and forth with the dealership. Now, you guys can't program the computer ship. You can't do it. And we're like, well, you can. So our first turnkey pal was basically, for lack of better words, a peeing match between us and the dealership because we threw the whole car, all of its turnkey components on a pallet, took a computer, went in and wrote the stuff so it would run on a pallet, took up the dealership on a flatbed and said, here, it runs. Sell us these computers. Quit giving us a hard time about it. Huh. Took up the dealership. Some guy walked in and was basically like, man, that's really cool. What's that? And we're like, ah, oh, it's just so we can buy more computers. Then once again, the light goes off and you're like, wait a minute, random people walking by a flatbed are trying to buy this really <laughs> ugly looking pallet. What's streamlined this pallet? So the pallet went from the first pallet, which was just basically this awful thrown together mess on a bunch of two by fours into the streamlined pallets we ship all over the world now. Well, so walk us through, like you guys have the first, what, uh, Hellcat, uh, HP 90, yep, uh, running code free. So yep. What all do you have to strip out of the vehicle? What do you have to carry in, in you know, said donor car uh, to get all this to work? Or are you stripping out, you know, you know, so many items and then using anything aftermarket? What is the magic for getting a complete powertrain, you know, from the original vehicle running in something else? Correct. So the Hellcats in the the 6.1, 6.4 is all the aftermarket programming stuffs out there and available. The Hellcats came out in 2015, and just now, and we're in 2020, there's just now starting to trickle out on the market some of the uh, 8HP90 Hellcat automatic transmission controller kits, how a Coyote has it, how an LS has it. The Hellcats, we're five years after, you know, production date release. They're just now starting to slowly trickle out, and they're still not even, like, that developed. So at the time when the Hellcats first came out, you had all the TV shows. I think it was uh, Roadkill and uh, Gas Monkey kind of did a race between the two Hellcats. I think one was a 4L80 GM Trans, the other one I forget was in there, but it's just basically go up and down a track. So when we were sitting there watching that, obviously we're fans of the shows and all that stuff, it was, well, hey, we can do this. We do all stuff in here. Let's go put our name on the map because everyone only knows us as pallets. We've been building cars. Let's go make a full Hellcat driving car with no codes on it. Let's just go take this thing around. So we started doing a 69 Charge where we put all this stuff in. And obviously a 69 Charge is a very iconic Mopar car. I feel like in the last two to three years, that 69 Charge is almost like, just kept going more and more iconic. So at the time we started, it was probably 2015, right when all the stuff was going on, where everyone else went out to be the first to basically go down the quarter mile track. We set out to be the first to really drive around, go on the highway, do burnouts. Then as we started building this car, we ended up naming the car Reverence. It was, let's, let's figure out how to make this car, let's make all the performance gauges work. Let's make traction control work. Let's just do the whole nine yards on a pallet from a pallet version into a build, just so uh, Blackbirds, one show we did it, two, put our name on the map, and three, help people and help sell our pallets. So we did our first Hellcat because there was no conversion kits out there, no one was running an 8HP90, and no one was running them code-free. We took the body of a 2016 Challenger, a theft recovery, non-hit car, and we basically stripped the whole body out the bottom of the car, and we attached it up into a 69 Charger. So for lack of better words, we kind of pancaked a 69 Charger on top of a 16 Hellcat, but obviously there's different wheel bases, different lengths of the cars, different overall heights in the cars, gaps in the cows and all that. So our fabrication, we basically built this car into a seamless car where it looks like that. But while doing it, we were able to figure out one for aftermarket versions, two for OEM versions. What's the best way to help guys in their garage to 
our car we built took it to SEMA. It showed what it was doing on. But maybe that guy in his garage doesn't have all that programming stuff. Maybe he doesn't have, you know, we use a Y-Tech scanner. Maybe he doesn't have a Y-Tech scanner. Um, so how do we set our pallet up to help that guy in his garage? So by doing those pallets and doing those builds, we kind of learn what guys need. So some cars need a rear speed sensor. Some cars don't. Um, the Hellcats in the back, we got our pallets now where they remote start. Like even though it's on a pallet, you can walk by the hot battery, you click remote start, and the thing will start up. It'll scan right through all of your codes. You could read it just like it is in a car minus the body. So we ship these things. We do a ton to Australia, New Zealand, um, a ton of international ones. We just sent a bow of them to South Africa. These guys basically have a communicating Hellcat, but it comes in a, you know, six foot by six foot crate. The way shipping works, you can't ship them with fluids. But all they got to do is put the fluids in and it starts right on their pallet. So it allows them to reverse engineer. So if they're doing, you know, a 70 Coronet in Australia or, you know, a 66 Charger in South Africa, they have all the stuff they reverse engineer. And even though they start to take power off that car, all the VINs and stuff are in the module. So this modern stuff will throw it into a limp mode where basically it protects the engine where the car won't go over 15 miles an hour. Because all those VINs and all those codes are in that car, they have all the stuff to reverse engineer. It's like basically – taking a puzzle that's complete and just taking piece by piece off, but you know where the pieces go because you're the one deconstructing it and you don't need to get all the scanners. And because they have a base tune, once you put it all together, if you want to go down the road, you can go down the road and drive around your neighborhood. Um, so basically it saves a guy on his end so much money. In today's modern world with car, we work a lot with, um, you know, police, um, sorry, detectives, all that stuff. Nowadays I can take a key code. I could buy a key file from a dealership. I can go take, you know, Kevin, I can go up to your house, put a tracker on your car follow you around for who knows half hour an hour i can go into a parking lot take a laptop type in your key codes scan your car walk up boop 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 unlock your car and I take your car no one even thinks i'm stealing your car because i have a key that's beeping your car so by doing all of this it allows that guy in his garage because we have to register there's a national uh, national security task force of crime we're registered with it so we can get all these key codes and program it because everyone just can't do it so the guy in his garage, you have to register through 50 states. We're registered in every state as a salvage, as an exporter, and also to program stuff. So I can program Fords, GMs, Chryslers. These guys in their garages, one, don't have all this stuff. And two, if you're building one car, you can't afford to spend $10,000 on a scanner. No. So we take all that out. So when their pallet comes, it starts, it runs, it moves. Now, with any build, there's still more stuff that needs to be done. Some guys might even go backwards to a painless kit. But if they have everything with them, they can make that choice when they have it. All right, man, we have to take a break right now. But I, I will say this. I, I find it really interesting because I just Googled that car, and I've got that car on my phone. i got a picture of that front balance on my phone that I've seen before because I was like, that. i see that magazine or something before, and I'm like, that is epic. Thank you. Uh, I, I myself have a 69 Dodge Charger, like three or four 1970 Dodge Chargers, a 68. So uh, I'm a big fan of the Dodge oh, Charger, yeah. man. And, uh, yeah, I've got yours on my awesome. phone. That's hysterical. I was like, shut the front door. That is probably the most well-known Mopar in the last couple of years to come out. That car is, like, in terms of internet famous. We do a lot of social media stuff. That car, does, which was great for us, it blew up everywhere. Yeah. People know it by name. It's like Prince in the car world. Well, look, man, let's dive into a break. We'll come back more with Rick Fragnoli from Cleveland Power and Performance on the Two Guys Garage podcast with Kevin Bird and Willie B. It's the Two 
guys go out to podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B, and we have Rick Fragnoli from Cleveland Power and Performance. If you don't know the name Cleveland Power and Performance, what rock you been hiding under? What hot rod fell on you, man? Uh, this is the place to go harvest, whether it's coyotes, LSs. They got tons of LS stuff. And now all us big uh, Mopar fans can uh, sort of rejoice because this is a spot you can go find Hellcat power plants. And I'm certain there's other upgraded Hellcat. There's the Red Eye. There's other versions out there. Uh, and I'm sure if anybody could get their hands on it, it's these guys at Cleveland Power and Performance. So, Rick, you know, you just told us an amazing story about your 69 Dodge Charger and how you were able to sort of take that iconic body and bring it, you know, into today's world. And, man, that is one sick, gorgeous, unreal car, but it's a beast to drive. Oh, it's, it's awesome. We did a bunch of filming. So we went to a show in Saudi Arabia last year, and we had uh, we did a bunch of filming for it down around Cleveland. We were down there. We were just, it was cool. So there was this huge old abandoned – in Cleveland, it does shows, but it built tanks for World War II. And uh, we talked to him before, and we're like, hey, we got this really special car. It's expensive. We want to shoot a bunch of footage. And they're like, we know the car. Totally cool. We went up there at night, so we were supposed to be up there. We were shooting at, like, some of the private airports and stuff. Everyone's is crazy. Like, the car got the red carpet rolled out. If I called someone, I was like, hey, can I shoot a private airport? They'd be like, who are you, dude? Like, piss off. Yeah. So they'd be like, no, sorry, you can't do that. And uh, calling this car, like, oh, you got reverence? Yeah, bring it on up. So, like, we shot like a private jet hangar, and then – this huge place where I built these World War II tanks. We were supposed to be there at about 10 at night. Well, the shooting at the airport because of the clearance is what took way longer. So, like, professional video crew, all stuff. So, we get there about 1 a.m., and there's one guy left, and he's like, dude, listen, I love the car. Kicked on all the lights in the parking lot. Love this whole thing. I mean, they built tanks for World War II. It's like this huge exposition center. He's like, do whatever you want. We were in there just hammering this thing, just burnouts, drifting, just beating the snot out of this car. We build our cars. They're built to be driven. So we're doing all this crazy stuff, and the air show happened to me in Cleveland. And he's like, hey, you want to see something cool? And it's like at this point, 3, 4 in the morning. He's like, why don't you pull your car? And so all the uh, all the Thunderbird jets were all in Cleveland that day. And he's like, why don't you bring your car and let's get some shots. I'm like, dude, you're letting us like come in and shoot the Thunderbirds? He's like, for that car? Yeah. So we have all these wood ramps and stuff. We're making generic ramps at like 3, 4 in the morning to come into the IAC Center to shoot with the Thunderbirds are in town. The Thunderbirds fly at like 6 that morning. We're shooting at like 4, 3 in the morning. I'm like, this is so weird that we're allowed to do this. He's like, oh, with that car, you can do whatever you want. I'm like, good Lord, I can't get anything with this car. But, like, I mean, that's how crazy that car is. So, yeah, it was – we got to basically beat the snot out of it, did a ton of road tests. And all of our cars, we go through and do that to make sure while we're doing that, that the codes aren't kicking on the dash. Traction controls come out and supposed to come on. Like, a lot of the build stuff, like, some of these shows are built for, you know, don't get me wrong, SEMA's great. I love SEMA. It's the best show out there. But some of those kind of go to SEMA and these guys just go put them in their garage, which is awesome. We beat the snot out of our car. Yeah. So when it goes to the guy who buys it, we need to make sure it's functional. Um, we're going to roast tires off the thing. We're going to literally do burnouts. We're going to do – that's the point of the car because whoever ends up owning that car is going to do the same thing. That's my man. That's how to do it. So I got a question for you. Were you able to – were you able to not just get – you said you got everything functioning and working on the car. Uh, is Does that include ABS? Yeah. ABS, traction control, Um backup camera backup sensors remote start um the key fob when you walk up to the door and basically it senses you're right there so it opens you know it unlocks the door the whole nine yards all of that i i understand i'm curious as to well you just used a a a newer i guess hellcat 
traction control system, huh? And since you dropped the body on that, I guess it would work. We graphed on that one. We did the whole suspension, but we're also, so right now in our shop, we currently have four B-body chargers being built with Hellcat drivelines plus an E-body, and we're just starting up another charger. And these are all customer cars. And depending on the guy's budget and what he's going, another one's a body off car like Reverend's. The rest are in some variation between aftermarket and that. So all these cars are in here for us to wire and program in. Some guys might want that 8.4-inch screen in their car with nothing else. Well, that depends because you have to have that screen to read off all those infotainment gauges and all that stuff. You have to have the suspension, the suspension module, the rear speed sensor and all that stuff. Some are sticks, some are automatic. So each car has basically its own wiring harness getting made, its own module system getting set up, its own programming system getting set up, depending on what the customer wants. So basically, they're kind of taking these 68 to 70 chargers, these e-body challengers, any other old Mopar, and they're just basically saying, I want this with it, and we're building the car to what they want. Some are running modern consoles, modern tunnels. Some are running modern seats. Some are running a modern console with an old seat. And what's cool for us is, like, two of those chargers are running modern tunnels with old dashes. So we're making custom dashes to look like the 69 charger, but they want to have the elbow feel, right, the six-shift shifter. So we can go in the back of the yard where like a lot of these other places don't have the benefit. We go take one of our challengers we have, we cut the tunnel out, we graft in a tunnel, it gives us all the council mounting points. Um, we have an upholstery shop in here, so we can do whatever we want. It gives all of our guys the option to go up there, go fit this console, go run this. One guy's going to be running ATSV seats in his charger because he likes the way it looks and we're recovering and doing them. The other guy's running old 69 charger seats, the other guy's running 2016 Hellcat seats. Some guys want the heated and cooled option. Some guys want the power. But because we have all these parts sitting around, we can go test fit. And if a guy's taller, shorter, smaller, bigger, we can bring them in. They can basically sit through and they can start. We can line up five seats. One guy's talking about running GTR seats in his e-body. Man, I'm going to tell you, this is just like an unfair advantage. <laughs> these guys have all the scoop and all the skinny, all the parts lying around. Like we start in our garage, we have nothing. So then you just have this blank sheet of paper. You're like, all right, I got to go shopping. You're trying to find every individual part. And somehow when you put it all together, it's all got to talk and work and connect up and whatnot. They got the whole thing sitting right there. And then they just figure out what they don't want, what they want to strip off. Now, I got a question for you as far as, right, when you have the entire vehicle there, as long as everything's connected, you know, it, it, it thinks, it doesn't know what shell's on the outside. So that makes sense. You can put it all together underneath some other shell, inside a shell, whatever. How much can you take away and still have the thing basically work, right? When you think about the like the yeah. GM standalone controller, man, it's a controller yeah. and a harness and a little fuse box with relays and click, you put some power to it, bam, everything, you know, up and running. I don't necessarily want to carry around a second steering column in my passenger seat. I don't want to carry around, yeah. you know, a bunch of extra things. So how hard is it to strip down to like the basic core simplicity of it or do you have to carry yeah. these things around with you so general rule of thumb is the older it is the more you can strip off but also like there's a lot of stuff like so say like a that challenger tr6060 six-speed transmission came out in 2009 it got beefed up internally in 2015 for the hellcat but because it's a stick shift it's way easier to scale back down there's not as much stuff you need in there now that same thing a coyote came out in 2011 2015 switch generations but same thing you can scale those way back um so it really depends each car is a little different but if there's guys that want to keep the simplistic look the original look of a 69 dash a 72 steering column we'll basically figure out ways to so for on reverence we ran modern headlights 
And a 69 Charger obviously has flip-up headlights. We ran LED taillights that basically sweep throughout it. So we deconstructed the basically the innards of the taillights on the modern Challenger and the innards of the headlight on the modern Charger. So what it is is we wrote in the computer where the computer basically says flip-up headlight doors. Well, modern Hellcat says I don't have headlight doors. Why do I flip-up headlight doors? So by deconstructing all these parts we have, and we always have a broken headlight, a broken whatever, we can deconstruct stuff like that, hide these modules in the car, so you don't have to carry around the extra steering column. You don't carry around that stuff, but you can still have the look of that 69 charge. Like Reverence, that headlight door is still almost running full HIDs. We have little control modules from the modern stuff in there. So for lack of better, it's because we have a lot of experience with it. We can scale it all the way down. If a guy is, you know, in his garage, doesn't have all that stuff, and he says, I really want to scale one down, we'll kind of work with him and say, hey, the option you're talking, it's a harder option to scale down. If you think it doesn't qualify for your skill set, might not be the best way, but it's your call. Hey, you got all the stuff in your garage, you know what you're doing, we'll walk you through everything. Um, our tech support, for lack of better is once you buy a motor, we're kind of like married. <laughs> you buy one of our cars, we're definitely married. So um, these guys call us, and sometimes it takes them two weeks to get their thing run. Sometimes it takes them two years to get their stuff running. They call in here because we built so much stuff, and it might be, hey, maybe that one's a little over my head. I got a fabricator's done that. I got a mechanic that's done that. I got a body guy that's done that part of it. So I just have those guys come and talk to them on the phones. So our pallet support system, most places in the boneyard industry don't build cars at the level we build cars. And also because we go all these shows and do stuff and we ship our pallets all over, we can basically help people through any question they have in their garage. And I've also had cases where, you know, a guy bought a pallet three years ago and he said, man, I don't know what I did. I fried this module. Which modules you fry? Shows me, sends me, we'll remote program it here and send it back to him. That way he doesn't have to take his whole thing apart because he doesn't have the scan tools and stuff. But because we keep all of our paperwork, we know what bin was in that guy's stuff. We know what bin he needs to not go into limp mode. So he scaled his way down. He fried something, cutting some wires, shorting through it. We'll basically handle that, program it, ship it back to him so he doesn't have to basically run all that stuff in his car. Man, it, it's crazy because you guys are literally, you know, creating masterpieces, but you do so with paint by numbers. It's uh, <laughs> it's pretty trippy how you guys have have developed this formula, uh, but the end product is something unbelievable. You know, I'm doing a I'm doing a Hellcat Hemi in a six speed in a '66 Dodge Charger wide body right now, and some of those hurdles you were just describing are. You know, those two have pop-up headlights. I've been kind of racking my brain. What am I going to do to incorporate modern headlights but still utilize the coolness of the pop-up headlights? And I think I just found a solution. So uh, you, you can have customers, people that can call you guys at Cleveland Power and Performance and say, hey, I have problem A, B, and C, and you guys will help them to the solution point? Oh, yeah, there's so many, like, we do, we have a bunch of builds going here at all times, but there's so many builds that we don't even, we've never even touched that car, the car's never been in here, it might not even have a driveline from us, and people basically reach out to us and say, I'm having an issue on this. I'm like, all right, just shoot me an email so I know, like, which guy in here is better at that stuff. I'll take it down, and I'll say, hey, man, you know, Willie, like, in the next day, give me an answer on this stuff, talk through this guy, I want to email this guy back in, you know, whatever state he's in, give me some stuff, and that guy will say, start in this direction, we start working down that thing, and yeah, we do. We're almost like a tech support line. We do so much tech support on cars that we don't even touch. But, yeah, which wow. when I came in this industry and probably, you know, because I grew up in a family, I know, I, you know, you're one of the young guys coming in. But when you're the old junkyard industry, for lack of better words, was you hated everyone. You had to be an a-hole to everyone. You basically couldn't work with anyone else. And it was so ridiculous to me because it's like 
everyone's so against everyone else, but like, man, why is everyone so mad all the time? Like, let's just build some cool, killer, cool stuff. And let's just get this done. So I branched out almost in my early twenties. I was like, I'm so sick of dealing with people. People are so ridiculously awful to deal with. We'll just figure it all out in house. But as I started figuring it all in house and getting the guys near to do it, we start building this like, you know, really cool team. It's like, well, man, I hated growing up that no one would help me. So it really stuck with me. I like, everyone just basically told me to pound it growing up. So I may really made a part of my stuff, my business to really reach back out and help people. Whenever people reach out to us, we get messages on like Instagram all the time, whatever. Social media, people send us stuff and we definitely do everything we can to help them. And most times we don't even have the cars in here and we'll never even see the car, but we'll still go through all their technical stuff with them. Oh man, that's so righteous. Cause you know, I think anybody who's been in salvage yards um, and now I'm in Detroit, you know, I'll still go pick, you know, for a bent wheel or, or anything else that I might need. And, and, yeah, man, it's it's that same attitude. I don't know if you just got to be, you know, I, I don't know why you got to be all gruff and grumpy and crotchety and whatnot, man. It's it's cool to have a righteous dude, right, willing to help you out, willing to give you some answers, guy that knows everything. Yeah. Everyone's so angry in the industry. Everyone's just so mad all day. It's like, dude, chill out, man. Like, shit. <laughs> everybody's so mad in the world right now because everybody's so mad everywhere. Uh, all right, real fast before we run out of time, man. How do people find out more about Cleveland Power and Performance? Where are you at socially? Where can people dive in, get some of these questions answered, find uh, find you guys as a resource? For sure. So uh, our website shows Cleveland PAP as in paulanthonypaul.com. Um, Instagram and Facebook is just power and performance. And then, uh, I actually have a full-time videographer starting up here in about a week and a half. Our YouTube stuff's a little behind, but, uh, he's coming in full-time just to do YouTube videos. And all of our YouTube videos are basically going to be, like you said, you're doing a 66 charger Hellcat. I'm having some issues on this. So all of our videos are, cause we build like all of our headers in house. Basically everything is in house. I hate subbing stuff out. I'm really a control freak about doing in house. It gives me quality. So all of our YouTube videos, and there's some out there right now is basically, this is a how to to basically help you out. Like how those gruff guys won't help out. I'm giving all the secrets out. I don't care. Here's a special sauce. Here it is. Um, here's the stuff. So you can email us, call us. Um, we're still the only company. Um, and we actually have, so I can release it on here. We're going to have the first Hellcat charger six speed coming up. So we're the only company to successfully make six speed modern LX cars. So that's the Dodge charger, the Dodge Magnum, the Chrysler 300. We're actually getting ready to do a Hellcat six-speed here coming up for a charger. We're going to lay all out. Just We do these things for advertising once a year because, for lack of better words, no one's ever figured out how to get six-speed conversions going on these cars. Um, so we're getting ready to do a Hellcat six-speed right now on a charger, on a modern charger. So, um, And we'll go through. We'll build it all. And the amount of people that will email us, every six-speed swap out there right now that basically is on the street that we didn't build, I will guarantee that email us 27 times to answer every question because we help get all the people. Because everyone wants a stick shift car. You can't buy it from Chrysler. So we'll go figure it out. We'll go do all the stuff. We'll help people through it. That's exactly what I'm facing, man. I got a Hellcat drivetrain. I did a six-speed in it. So I'm putting that assembly together right now. Very interesting. I'm anxious to follow along. So, yeah, man. Uh, again, you guys dive in here, man. This is a great resource, an awesome tool to utilize uh, to help figure things out that modern drivetrains swapped over into, you know, old school metal. It's the coolest thing out there on the road. Let's be honest. Every car looks exactly alike nowadays. But you get the old iron with the new power plants, and all of a sudden, man, you got one righteous ass ride. Uh, it's unique. It's different. It always grabs attention. It comes with a lot of attitude, and these guys are supplying 
find everything you need to make it work, make it function, make it perform, and that's crucial uh, for any car builder. So, uh, hey, Rick, thanks a ton. Uh, appreciate uh, everything you're doing for, just for the car industry. It's really super cool to see, man. So, uh, again, thank you. Honored to be on here, guys. Absolutely pumped for the opportunity. Very appreciative and uh, very, very thankful. So thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah man. man. We'll have to stay in touch and bring you back on because you guys are pushing the envelope. And, uh, you know, as cool as it is, Willie said, you know, getting these modern powertrains in these vehicles, uh, they get more and more complicated. And you guys are at the cutting edge, figuring it out, reverse engineering it. So, man, we will be staying in touch for sure. Thanks for giving us all this scoop today, man. That's awesome. Yeah, just a normal car guy. Like I said, very thankful for being on. Thank you very much. There you go, man. Hey, don't forget, also being on is our TV show. There's Weekends on Motor Trend Network. Check your local listings. Make sure you record that DVD. Check it out, man. We always have some cool stuff on our show as well. Also, there's episodes now streaming on Motor Trend On Demand. Thanks to our guest, Rick Fragnoli from Cleveland Power and Performance. My man, Kevin Bird. I'm Willie B., our producer, Scoop, and our executive producer, Bob Ecker. Yeah, and don't forget to check out our website, twoguysgarage.com, and share your thoughts with us on social. We're everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Two Guys Garage. The Two Guys Garage podcast is a copyright 2020 Britain Productions Incorporated. All rights reserved. I'm going to give that dude a new title, man. The Panacea of Power Plants. That's right. You know what I'm saying? He's got all the items figured out, man. Panacea is, a, is an answer, right? Uh, you know, it's like this uh, magical gift, if you will. Uh, and he's got it. He's got every one of the resources, all the aftermarket support right there in-house. They're building unbelievable rides, and they're making them all work, which is it's just critical when you're, you know, put together an old muscle car with some new power in it. Uh, and that's something we all love to see. Yeah, man, some great resources. Sounds like he's put together an awesome team. They got all the curiosity to go in there, investigate, figure it out. And, man, we are the benefactors. So what a cool conversation, man. I'm definitely going to be hanging with this dude. I got to go check them yeah. out. They're not that far from me, man. Cleveland's a couple hours. Bam. My next salvage <laughs> yard run is going to be there. Yeah, man. Send pictures. <laughs> All right. We'll check you guys out on the next Two Guys Garage podcast. Take care. See you, guys. Two Guys Garage podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and Britain Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.